You are listening to the Mead Musings Podcast, the platform we talk about disabilities, critical illnesses and mental health. This podcast is hosted by a resilient critical illness survivor. Sit back and listen to truly inspiring men and women share their journey, struggles, pains, and strategies for excelling in life despite debilitating circumstances. Welcome to today's episode of the Made Musings podcast. My guest is Ray Blackney. Ray is joining us from Mexico, even though he's a U.S. citizen. Well, he lives in Mexico with his lovely wife. And the story today is going to be sharing the story of his, I mean, struggle to have a child and how that affected him and his wife in the long run. So welcome to the Mid Musings podcast, Ray. Toyin, thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. So let's get started by just getting the basics out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> so start with your introduction. Yeah. Yeah, we talked a little bit before recording. So mm. as I said, my basics aren't quite as basic as a lot of people. So I was born in the Philippines. One year old, I moved to Istanbul, Turkey. I spent the next 15 years of my life there. Then I went to the U.S. to finish high school and college, worked for a few years, decided I don't like sitting in a cube, quit my job as a computer engineer, and became a volunteer for $150 a month salary in southern Mexico, where I met my wife. And we've been living in Mexico most of the time ever since. I had complication to that. My dad's American, but he grew up in Rhodesia. Toyin, you and I were talking. I have cousins who are Nigerian, so, you know, from, oh, yeah. from your neck of the woods, right? I so, know. All over the world, I have family. You've got seeds planted all over the continent. You have roots in Turkey, uh, Philippines, and mm-hmm. uh, Mexico, America, Zimbabwe, anywhere. <laughs> Everywhere I go, I can stay with family for the most part, right? I don't need to pay for hotels. Yeah, that's a good part of being with large family. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Thank you so much here yeah, for the introduction so yeah let's get into the nitty-gritty of your story of course yeah so how long did you have issues i mean how long were you have you been with your wife and how long did you have these problems with conception sure, and what sure. so yeah to start you know a lot of people don't talk about this I'd never even thought about it, but you know, once we were part of it, you do some research and you find out that about 20% of the people in the world, um, couples have trouble having children um, at some point or another in their lives. So it's a much more common problem than most people know about, you know, the other 80%, you don't think about it. And I admit, I never thought about it either. So I've been married to my wife for about 13 years now. And for the first five or six years, we didn't have kids simply because we were building our businesses. We run a number of right now, large online businesses. And we focused on that because we wanted to make sure we were economically stable before having kids, right? We didn't want to, you know, have to start a business and have kids at the same time. So when we started to try to have children, we were both in our mid thirties. I never really thought about it because as a guy, you can have kids when you're a hundred, but as, as a woman, it's not, you had, there is a clock, right? Um, a biological clock that you have, there's a limit for childbearing years. Again, I knew nothing about it. So we started trying around 35 years old, which is still possible. Most people will do it, but for some reason for us, it didn't work. And so we went and saw doctors and they couldn't find anything wrong with us. We're both healthy. We both exercise. We both eat what eat right. You know, we don't have high stress. We meditate, all that kind of stuff. Nobody could figure it out. So we ended up going the 
in vitro route. So we decided to do in vitro. Generally speaking, in vitro works for most people, right? For, they say in three tries, 80 or 90% of people will have it. Each try is about 60% success. And in three tries, most people have, are able to do it. We did three, didn't work. All three of them failed. We had something called an ectopic pregnancy where it's kind of pregnant, but it's in the wrong place. So the fetus doesn't, or it's not even a fetus yet. It just doesn't grow past that point. Those are super rare, one in 10,000. We tried up until five. And at that point, I wanted to give up. We've been doing it for four or five years. It's a lot of toll on my wife specifically. Honestly, for a man, it's much easier. Physically, it's a much easier process. But every time it failed, it's kind of like losing a child, right? Oh, because yeah. you're hoping, you're hoping, you're hoping. And so after five, I'm like, we're done. We've been doing this for five years. Let's just move on with our lives. We're lucky that the rest of our lives, things were great. We had a great relationship. We're lucky to have successful businesses. We would travel two to three months out of the year. Um, we had good friends. I said, let's give up. My wife said, no, look, I saw something on the radio. There's this one doctor who's supposed to be the best in the country. Let's contact him. Let's give it one more try. And it worked. Oh. I didn't believe it. I actually had, you know, we were doing it. And I'm like, yeah, I was already moving on with my life, right? Oh. After five tries, I'm like, I'm not even going to uh, hope for the sixth one to work. I'm just going to continue with my life because it's too much, right? When you kind of build up your hopes and then suddenly it doesn't work every single time. I just said, yeah, let's just go on. We did it. I, you know, I supported her when we could, but it wasn't, I didn't even think about it. We would go do the procedure and then I'd forget about it. And I just continued with my life because I assumed it wasn't going to work and life would continue. But luckily a year ago, almost exactly his birthday was seven days ago for his first birthday. Our son was born and he's changed our life for the best. Everybody says it's a lot of work. Yeah. They're not even close to, you don't know what to expect, right? When you have a kid. You think, oh, I'm like, I'm ready. But yeah, once you have it, yeah, it's way more work than you think. I'm super happy to have them, but we haven't slept that well in a year. And it's all part of the process that's there. And we're lucky. We, since we live in Mexico, we even have help in the house. I mean, you know, we have a nanny and we have people who help us cook. And I'm like, I don't know. My respects to all single mothers in the world who have to work because I have no idea how you do that. I have no idea how those <laughs> super women survive because that seems incredible to me. So that's kind of our story, but it was multiple years of i'll be honest i mean you know they were after each failure my wife and i would spend a few days crying oh um, yes let me just go like, to that really yeah. yeah because you did say you went through like five um failed ivfs after each failure how did you feel as a person how did your wife feel how did you both feel how did the yeah so relationship there are two things that can happen. So I think we're lucky in a way because my wife and I have started businesses and run businesses together, right? We've been doing that for years. And I always tell people when I get on like business shows and people ask, how do you do it? Or how does that affect your relationship? My answer is that you only get, a, you, there's only two possible options when you run a business with your wife. It's that you get divorced or you have a very strong relationship. There's no middle ground, right? There's nothing where in the middle, everything stays the same. We've been running a business together for years. We survived. And we, I think we had a very strong relationship as a result of that. So when the IVF started and we failed, that strong relationship helped us cope. Because we've been through some tough times in our businesses together. Nothing was quite as emotionally tough as this. I think a lot of people on the outside had no idea this was going on. Most people didn't. I mean, you know, our staff didn't. We didn't tell anybody these kind of things. And the rest of our life looked good. So, you know, most people couldn't even tell that this was happening, but you know, it was very, very sad. One of the things we came up with to deal with the whole process was a, what I call a silver lining. 
uh, for each attempt. So my wife and I, we love to travel. Otherwise, we live pretty simple lives, but we love to travel. So the way we would work stuff out is before we tried every round of IVF, we would sit down and come up with our a dream trip for oh. us to take. So okay. we would say, okay, one month, this is a dream trip. And if IVF doesn't work, we are leaving on this dream trip within three months. Oh, I like that. I mean, that takes that a mind us, away. That's yeah. exactly it. So when we were going into the process, I mean, it doesn't help. I mean, there was still sadness. We were still crying and all the rest of it. But if you go in and you come out and it doesn't work, but as a result of it not working, you're about to go to Italy for six weeks to do you know, your dream <laughs> vacation in Italy. It takes the pain away. There's two sides to it. One is just, okay, yes, there's this tragedy, but there's also this thing that you're looking forward to now, which psychologic, the hope, right? It's kind of the light that kind of helps you get out of there. Also, by going on the trip, you're pulling yourself out of the environment, right? When you're at home, that's kind of all you can think about because that's where it happened. When you're waiting on IVF, there's something called the two-week wait, 14 days where you're waiting for the results. So, you know, the whole house kind of is permeated with that kind of energy. If you can just leave for six weeks, one, it kind of lets that energy go out of the house. And plus, you guys are in it. It's very easy to forget. I'm not going to say forget, but, you know, it's, to not yeah. think about it all the time yeah. when you're in a situation that's just totally different. Like when you're sitting in a gondola in Venice, you're probably not thinking about it, right, in that particular moment. Maybe at night when you went to sleep, it'll come back to your mind a little bit. But during the day, you're totally clear. We, you know, we took a trip to Japan. We went to Morocco and slept in in the Sahara Desert and tents for a few nights as a result of one of the failed attempts. So we have all these great stories to share because that was kind of our, what we call the silver lining for every one of the failed attempts. Oh, I'm really, I really like that idea of that going away after a failed treatment because, mm -hmm. you know, it can be very devastating when you get that result that, okay, there's no child, there's, oh, it's an ectopic mm -hmm. pregnancy. It takes its toll on your emotions and That's you're just there. You just feel like crying and screaming at mm -hmm. everybody. And then that's the time you notice everybody has a kid. That Everywhere, was the worst know. part, right? Every one of my friends were like, oops. You know, especially now with social media, I think it's worse, right? Exactly. Because some people are like, oh, we didn't even want to have it. Oops, we accidentally had our exactly. third child. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh. You know, and the worst part was, again, we were healthy. It's, I think, would be a little easier to deal with if we knew what was causing the problem, right? Yeah. Because then you can at least say, okay, it's because of this. There was nothing. We did multiple tests, and we are both perfectly, perfectly healthy. There was nothing that should have caused this. Yeah, but it was hard. As an engineer and a business person, I don't get stressed out about things that I can solve with hard work. I don't mind doing the hard work. This is not one of those things, <laughs> right? When you're trying to have a child, there's nothing you can do to make it more successful, yeah. right? I can't work harder. I mean, you know, we're not overweight. We both do exercise. There's nothing we have, you know, we have good diets, all of it, nothing we can do to make it. There was nothing we could do to make it more successful. It's just like genetic luck that it works or that it doesn't work. And that was really frustrating. Yeah, I know. It's so frustrating. You met your wife when you were earning $150 a month. How were you able to survive on that? Maybe she, she might have supported me. She was a, she's a teacher. <laughs> so, so the organist, yeah. So you, um, basically, you've gone through tough times together. That's bonded to you. And you, yeah. I mean, you have a, an emotional connection in place. So you are able to support each other that way. That's what I'm trying to say. Because you've, yes. been, you've been through the tough times together. 
Yeah, that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. Your relationship when you've been through so much, again, we went through this, we've run through, you know, we've lost businesses overnight, we've built multiple businesses together. Luckily, you have no horror travel stories. I mean, our travels have been pretty good. We don't have anything like we were stranded here. I'm like, I'm sure our plane was delayed somewhere. But that's with all this tough times we've gone through in our life, those kind of things don't even stay in my memory, because they're just so small compared to you know, what, what real problems that we, we've lived through. And yes, we, as a result, we come out with a very strong relationship. I mean, I'm not going to say we never argue. I actually, I say people, I don't actually trust couples who never argue yeah. because that means somebody is so dominant in the relationship that exactly. the other one is just so, so, you know, it just lets everything happen. Um, mm-hmm. I'm married to a strong Latino woman. Yeah. She, if she does, if she's not happy with me, she, she lets me know. I mean, there, there's no way of getting around that. Yeah. And even having a child is, you know, every transition in life takes work, uh-huh. right? And having a child is one of those transitions. Uh, my, my wife's now been breastfeeding for over a year. She hasn't slept a complete night's sleep in over 12 months, right? <laughs> but she has to wake up and breastfeed and all the rest of it. I think every, you know, all the mothers in the world can relate to this. And she will be happy doing that, really. She will be so glad that she's actually she is, doing that. She is. I keep, I keep trying telling her, I'm like, you know, no let's try to fit you know, this has been over a year now i'm like we can try fading it down she's like no no no, no i actually no. enjoy it yeah of course she is a little more cranky as a result of it because she sleep is very important and if you're not getting a full night's sleep yeah it affects you but it's also on the husband's side to be Support understanding you. of that exactly because yeah I, I can't relate i'm getting a good i'm getting a very good night's sleep <laughs> you know i mean it's i I can't think of her. Why are you cranky when i'm not because i'm not going through what she's going through yes. but she's very happy to do it i mean our son started walking two months ago. It's a joy. Just this morning, actually, right before the call, he walked into my office. Oh! I have a work. To, he started walking at ten months, so he's been walking for a while. But this morning, he walks into my office. He already knows how to say "daddy," so he says, "Yeah, daddy." He's a good morning. Walks in, but what I do is I journal every morning, and so I was journaling, and he's seen me do that every morning. But this morning, for some reason, he kind of walked up to my desk looked up at me, was really interested in the pen and paper. Yeah. So I'm like, okay. So I gave him the pen, gave him the paper. I actually thought he was going to put the pen in his mouth because that's generally what babies do. But no, he took the pen and he started writing on my notebook. <laughs> he wants to so now I have it. We exactly, we have in my notebook, I have his first artwork now written now in my notebook. It's the first time he's actually taken it because we've tried before. We gave him crayons. He wasn't interested. Yeah, I mean, he was interested in eating, but he wasn't interested in drawing with them. Um, but this morning he did that and he just, he spent like five minutes just fascinated with like putting a pen to a piece of paper and just moving it around and seeing that it left the mark. Yeah, those little things are worth it. Oh, that's so worth it, really. Yeah. Like I remember when my brother had his son, they had to wake up. The baby was crying and the mother was cranky. And he was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, baby should come with a manual. <laughs> Absolutely. But the thing is, every baby is so different, right? That yeah. you can read the manual for one baby and it's got absolutely nothing to do with yours. Exactly. Uh, we're lucky. We're lucky. Our baby, you know, our, my son is actually, I've heard horror stories. So kind of, I'm a pessimist by nature. So I, you know, that's what I prepared myself for, right? Mm-hmm. Babies yelling all the time and making a mess. No, our son's <laughs> been pretty good. I mean, you know, generally wow. sleeps through the night. He's not much of a crier. Um, You're lucky. You know, with, with, yeah, when we're when he's crying, it's generally something. He cried yesterday, but he had two vaccines for his one year. At one year, you get two different injections for yeah. something, right? So he was a little cranky for about twenty four hours. I'm sure something was going on in his body that made him cranky. But generally, he's good. He oh. does like throwing things now, though, so that's kind of new. <laughs> so things are being thrown all over the house. But luckily, we have a dog we've had for thirteen years. She's our first baby. 
he knows how to play fetch now. So he picks up our tennis ball and throws that. So it's a lot less work for us. He gets entertained. Our dog gets tired. It's a win-win on that situation. But we're very appreciative of what we had. We worked six years to have a child. This was not an accident. We knew exactly what we were getting into, right? It's not, oops, how did this happen? It was very, very planned, very methodical for us to get to this point. Oh, thank you so much for sharing all that. Yes, it's so exciting to hear somebody so passionate about their child. I love children and Mm. unfortunately, I don't have any. (laughs) But (laughs) I grew up with a large family and also I was able to help my mom with raising the last three in my family. So I know what they're all and I have like, I think 12 or 13 nieces and nephews now. So yes, it's a large family and I always spend time with them, talk to them. So I love, I love all these stories. But yes, let's go back to your IVF journey. Why Mm -hmm. did you decide to go down the IVF route? That's in the first instance. Was there anything that made you go that route in particular? Well, we had actually, at that point, we'd been trying for two years. And that, uh, the doctors say, if you try naturally for two years and you don't, yeah. that's kind of when you should start considering IVF. So that's what we did it. And again, we started 35, so we were already 36, 37. So, you know, the clock was ticking at that point. I mean, mm. you know, there, we couldn't just be keep on trying for another two or three years and hope because then she would reach the magical 40-year-old <laughs> range, right? Which is the, it varies by woman, but oh. generally speaking, 40 is kind of the age where after that, even IVF stops becoming an option. So at that point we decided, luckily we were able to get someone get some frozen eggs because she was, you know, 40 by the time it worked, 41 by the time it worked, but it was because we had frozen eggs from previous trials. Okay, so it was uh, eggs that had been frozen. That's an option that a lot of people don't know about, (laughs) freezing their eggs Mm -hmm. for when they would need it. And this is another thing I want to talk about as well. Mm -hmm. Lots of people don't know about freezing their eggs. It's just an easy process. It is. I mean, I I guess I can't speak to the exact process. They don't let me in the room, right, when they're taking the eggs out. I'm I'm not in the room with my wife. I would definitely recommend it, especially for women like my wife, who are working professionals and maybe who are, it's a lot more common these days for women. The higher your level of education, the older you are, women have kids, right? That's the general rule, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody with a master's, a woman with a master's PhD, the average age is 35, as opposed to somebody with a high school degree, the average age is I think 22, 23. So Mm -hmm. if you're a working professional woman who wants to have kids, but also wants to focus on their career and you're still in your twenties, that's actually a great time to consider, right? Because your egg quality is still great in your twenties. It's cost a little bit of money, but it's not ridiculous expensive. You have to pay a yearly fee storage. just to kind of, exactly. There you storage. go. You know the, ter- you know the terminology, yeah, storage <laughs> fee better than I do. But if you do that, it's not actually a woman's age about having the kids. It's the eggs age, right? So yeah. theoretically, if you froze your eggs at 25, you could have a kid at 70 because you are still doing it with 25, your eggs From as if the- they were 25 years old. Yeah. Exactly. And there, there've been multiple studies done. There's almost... There's a few random ones out there, but most of the time the studies show that, you know, frozen eggs are just as healthy. You know, there's no real medical effect on the child for using frozen eggs. The success rate slightly lower in IVF, but we're talking like a few percentage, not huge, right? Like say a regular, a a fresh egg is about 60 and a frozen egg is like 52%. So, you know, maybe 5% difference in success rate, but not statistically enough to make it to change it. And if there's a big difference between having 25 year old eggs and 40 year old eggs, right? Because then 
sign if the older you are, the chances of the child having Down syndrome are higher. There's all these different effects that can happen. That can happen if you wait till later in your life. Oh yes, definitely. Thank you so much. Yes, if you ha- if you wait until much later in your life to have your eggs frozen, then there's a probability that the eggs won't be as good mm-hmm. as when they are. Twenty five years of age is like using the egg at 20 freezing the egg at 25 like you said you could have a child at the age of 70 and it yep. will still be like you are 25 years of age exactly. so that's exactly so great going by the ivf uh, treatment as well were there other options open to you when you did the ivf like embryo adoption or even those options were open to us we hadn't gotten to that point yet. Um, we, I mean, we obviously sat down and talked about it, but we were thinking at that point, instead of embryo, embryo adoption, we would have actually got the adoption route, not just a straight adoption, right? Oh, instead right. of giving child. The world has enough children that need good parents. Oh, yeah. That necessarily needing one that has, you know, has our own biology didn't seem like the right thing to do the moral thing to do, right? I mean, just because it's like, this has to be mine. I think a lot of that is ego for the parents. Because we, I mean, we, we visited orphanages and everything already. We already have like, information about adoption, especially we were looking at the Philippines because there's a lot of need for adoptions over there. And I happen to have a family member who's in whatever the organization that takes care of the national adoption in the Philippines is. I knew that I know the head director of the adoption agency in the Philippines. And I think a lot, if the only reason you're having a child is because you want somebody who looks like you, you might not be having a child for the right reason. Yes. Is my belief. It's just a child to love. Exactly. And I think... To shower affection on... There are so many children who need that in the world. Yeah. Yes. That adoption seemed like a great... I mean, we're still considering it maybe for a second child. We might still adopt. We're still too tired from this one um, for for us to be thinking about it now. But it's still something. Luckily, again, we run multiple businesses. We're kind of financially in a position that we could support, responsibly bring up two children. So we might still actually adopt a child. I think most of child adoption is being willing to take the responsibility for raising them and raising them right. Uh And that doesn't mean they have to have your nose, you know, (laughs) in order for you to do it. I don't think that's a factor, you know, giving them the love they need, the discipline they need. I've been practicing martial arts most of my life. So discipline is kind of a big thing for me, not in a rude way, not, you know, not, not in any kind of violent way, but kind of giving limits to children is part of growth. I mean, you know, I, one of the things we, my wife and I would say to my son, I'm like, we will love you for there forever, but I'm not here to be your best friend. I'm your parents, <laughs> right? I mean, I'm here to tell you, this is what we do. This is what you don't do. If you come to me at 15 and ask for a car, I will give you the newspaper and say, here, look for a job. You know, I'm not buying you all your favorite toys, even if we can afford it. It's my job to teach you to grow up right, to live right, so that you can support yourself later. Not to make your life super easy on all steps and that you never face any challenges. That's not how the real world is, right? Yeah, because a child, I, I mean, we all live in a real world and somebody, mm-hmm. some people shelter their children too much. Exactly, and exactly. Yes, sheltering a child does not show love. It does not show mm-hmm. affection. It does not show care. Give the child the tools they need. I had somebody on my podcast yesterday. She's a blind, blind girl. And she went to a school where there were no special treatments meted out to her before because she was blind. But this is because she was open and that helped her to adjust. And she's so balanced now. 
she exactly she's a she's a motivational speaker and i'm so impressed even people who do not have sight impairments don't achieve some people don't achieve more even up to what she has achieved so mm-hmm. it's good it's just good to have the balanced uh, way of raising kids i don't believe in pampering a child too much but you you give the child as much love as they deserve. That's exactly. I, you and I have the same philosophy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. There's no limit to the love we're going to give him. Yeah. There's plenty of limits to what he's allowed to do and stuff we're going to give him. If he wants the newest computer, PlayStation 20, whatever they have when he's, when he's old enough to play these things, we're not necessarily going to buy that. That's actually, in a way, you touched on a great point. That's kind of the, I think the easy, those are parents who take the easy way out, right? That's a, because... My child is yelling. They want something. I want them to stop yelling. And instead of teaching them the right thing to do, I'm just going to buy them this thing. No, you don't buy your way out. Exactly. It's easier, right? In the moment, though, it's easier. I just buy it. He stops yelling. We're done. I mean, you know, it's 10 second fix. But that just is starting a pattern that's just going to continue for the rest of his life. We have a, a friend here in Mexico. And unfortunately, she was brought up in that way. Mm. We're getting to know her better these days. And she doesn't know how to shop at a supermarket. She doesn't know how to cook. You know, she's in her mid-30s. She doesn't know the basic. It's not that all women need. I know how to cook, right? I mean, I can, men should know at least the basics of how to make rice and mm. chicken and no, no need to be a Michelin star chef, but you need to know these basic things, right? How do you mm. pick an apple at a supermarket or whatever fruit is local? If you mm. don't know how to do that, I think your parents messed up somewhere, right? If you don't know how to clean your house, your parents messed up somewhere. Boy or girl, doesn't matter. You better be helping, you know, at least sweep the floor, wash the dishes. I have to wash the dishes growing up all the time, right? And that's what you got to teach your kids. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that bit as well. Yes, I, I, I just feel people, at least even girls in my family, there was no boy or girl. Everybody goes to the farm. Everybody goes to the poultry. Everybody cooks. Even my dad used to cook in the kitchen and he was an African man. I cook in the weekends. Yeah. During the week, my wife does, yeah. and I'm Saturday and Sunday. I'm the one making breakfast, and you know, our son better is going to know how to make French toast. So I'm going to be the one teaching him how to make French toast. I'm not a great cook, but I, I know at least that the level of I can open up our cookbook and follow our recipe. I'm shocked <laughs> when people can't at least do that, right? I mean, you know, just read the instructions and do it. But you need to have the basics of how cooking works in order to be able to even do that. Yeah, thank you so much. So yeah, let's go back to the experience with the failed IVFs and the miscarriages, the ectopic pregnancy, how did that impact on your mental health at the time? Oh, that was, that was the worst one, as you can imagine, right? Hmm. For those who don't, you know, aren't familiar, ectopic pregnancy means that the egg was fertilized successfully. It just doesn't implant in the right part in the woman's body. They're very rare. I mean, I think it's one in 10,000 or something like that. You can look it up. Don't, don't quote me on the science. There's, there's, there's more than that. They're having ectopic pregnancies now. It's just oh, really? so many, yeah, so many women. Have yeah, it. yeah. I mean, I, again, a lot of these things are just people are, don't talk about it, right? So you yeah. never know that it exists. There's two problems with, well, there's multiple problems with an ectopic pregnancy. The first one is it does actually take up the woman's hormone levels, right? So your pregnancy test will come back positive. Mm. So of course we were really happy, right? Until I'm an engineer, so I researched online and I'm like, it's high. It was way above the pregnancy level, but I'm like, it's something's off. It's two weeks in, it should be higher than this. The doctor said, okay, wait three days, see if it's doubled. And it didn't. That was when we kind of knew something was up and we went in and checked it. But that was the worst part, right? Because we thought it was it was working for 24 hours. 
And then we discovered it wasn't. So that was a devastating blow. In addition, ectopic pregnancies are actually very high risk to the mother. The egg essentially implants in the fallopian tube. It doesn't implant in the uterus. And if this is not treated, the egg continues to grow and it could, in the worst case scenario, actually kill the mother. So we, that's devastating, right? That, you know, essentially she did get pregnant. Just pure fluke. We, nobody knows why, right? It just went up the fallopian tube and didn't embed in the uterus. Yeah, you have to take chemicals, right? Mm-hmm. In order to... You, you have these injections and all... Yeah, I, it was an injection, yeah. some pills. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, it, but it was all still painful because it mm-hmm. hurts even then. And she had to go through a few weeks of pain. And even our next, you know, at that point, she still wanted to try again, but we had to wait longer than usual because there's some recovery time after the ectopic pregnancy. So, but the worst part was just the whole, it worked, but then it didn't work feeling, right? Where we thought we were going to be parents for 24 hours. And then 24 hours later, they said, no, no, you're not. The other ones felt like a, we thought felt like a loss of a child, but that one I should, you know, biologically almost was. It wasn't so as bad as a miscarriage that happens at three months, six months. We had a friend who had a miscarriage at five months. They had already you know, painted the room and had a name and all the rest of it. I can't imagine that pain, but this was pretty bad as well. Oh, I'm sorry you had to go through that. And a lot of people go through that every day. And especially with this pandemic now, there's quite a lot of people that go through and they don't off, they're not offered counseling after mm-hmm. these treatments, and which is, I think should be happening once you lose a child you need to go for counseling to understand what's going on in your body to know what to expect and to help you process that information my wife did go to counseling yeah after that not very much it was like a month or two right just enough to kind of get the emotions out yeah Um, and i think it helped her a lot oh thank you so much for sharing your story. Do you have any advice for people, especially at this time? What would you like to say? My condolences to anybody who's going through this during the pandemic. You know, we went through it in a quote unquote normal time and it was already hard, right? With a pandemic, I can't even imagine what it would be like to be going through this entire process because it's a lot more isolating. As I mentioned in the beginning, my wife and I, our lives luckily were pretty good. Our family, we have very loving families all the rest of it. So we had, and friends, so we had support and it's a lot harder to get that support now. You know, you can still do Zoom, but it's not quite the same thing. There are two sides to it. I think I I would share with everybody just because remember we were in a place where I thought we weren't going to have kids. That's okay. I think a lot of people look at kids as the way to kind of give back to the world, but there are plenty of other ways to give back to the world, except other than having kids, you can contribute, you can help. Without having kids, you can have a lot more free time, right? So you can really make a big impact on the planet whether in what people's lives through volunteering or by just doing whatever it is you do in your job to make the world a better place. And you can still live a great and fulfilling life without having a child. Having a child should not be the only thing that fulfills you in life. I think that's putting too much pressure on your child, right? If the child is the only thing that makes you happy, then I think you need to balance your life a little bit better. So that's one of the things that I would say, right? Not Most people will not have the problems that we have, but if you did, it's not the end of the world. Life does go on. And the second one is, of course, don't give up hope, whether you're, if you do continue trying, because literally it was try number seven that worked for us. That's a lot of tries. I mean, you know, that's a lot of, a that lot of tries. A, yeah, seven tries for each Exactly. Yeah. And people ask, are you going to have another one? I'm like, we're not going through that again. We're, we're you, grateful you, to you have know, our, You know, yeah. you had, you had probably a bit more than average number of trials that people go through to have a child. I've seen, uh-huh. I have a friend that she's gone through 12 trials 
I've got friends, I've gone through 10, I've gone, I've seen yeah. people. Actually, there was a documentary on TV um, during this pandemic, and this couple went through 20 trials, IVF trials. I would do. <laughs> Just I for those listeners out there, none of these numbers are normal. Even seven is not normal, right? I mean, most people are successful in two to three. You well, know. people are successful at two or three, but I mean, if you're not successful, you just keep, you just want to keep trying. But if it doesn't mm-hmm. work, there's a time to say, yes, this is the cutoff for me. And Absolutely. Just look for other options. Like you're said. right. I mean, adoption is, I mean, there are so many kids in the world who are looking for great yes. parents. One yes. of the things we told ourselves there is, you know, okay, when we were thinking, you know, the after trial six, we're like, we, we're not going to do this again. It was an awful day for us, but it might've been the best day in the, of the life of a child, of an orphan child right now, oh. right? If you're going through it, then you can look at it that way. This is not a good day for, this is an awful day for us. IVF didn't, IVF did not work for us. Maybe you reach that number. You say, we're going to try five times and it didn't work. But that same day, if your real goal is to be a parent, might should be the day you start adopting, which means it's the best day in the life of whatever, whichever kid you end up adopting. That awful day for you was the best day in the life of that kid, even though the kid doesn't know it. Hmm. That was the best day in that kid's life because that's Um, the day you started the process to become his parents, his or her parents. Oh, yeah. I like like that way of looking at it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We often focus on the negatives and forget that there's always, for every negative, there's always a positive. So that's Mm -hmm. the way I look at life now. There's always in, I, I mean, I have my moments where I still feel really, it never goes away, right? Yeah, but yeah. I, yeah, okay, maybe if I just give it one more try, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, I mean, one more try, one more try. And it keeps- Even for women, for their health, because, you know, IVF involves a ton of hormones. Yeah. It's not healthy for a woman to be going through that that many times. It, it just, you know, you're, you're, you get to a point where you're just risking your wife's life or if you're the wife, you know, your own life to do this. Again, consider adoption. There are so many kids in the world who need a, who need a good home, who are looking for it, um, that you could make the life of a child literally, a, you know, it takes about a year to two years to adopt, but one or two years from now, you could be making the life of the child better than he could ever dream of, right? Um, by adopting, whether you do it locally, you do it internationally, it doesn't matter. Um, but there, there's some kid out there, if you want to be a parent, there's some kid out there who wants you to be their parent or needs you to be their parent. So go and look for them. Oh, thank you so much. What's your child called, by the way? Aaron. It was actually a neat name. So I had no preference for names, right? Maybe it's a guy thing. It wasn't like, oh, I always wanted to have a kid called. No, I I never really. I I had very little experience with kids growing up. Hmm. I was 15 years older than my nearest cousins. So I never really experienced babies, (laughs) you know, until my son was born. Oh, right. Wow. So you need this. I was in Turkey. My cousins were in the Philippines and the US. I I never held a baby until I had my son. I was, you know, almost 40 years old. I don't think I'd ever held a baby in my life. Maybe for a second once somebody gave me their baby, but did you, did you hold him upside down? Yeah. I hold him by his foot and I was looking at him like, is this right? (laughs) I had no idea what I was doing with with him, you know, changing diapers. I had to go, I had to watch a YouTube video because I'm like, I don't know how this works. How does this whole diaper thing work? Um, So now I totally lost where I was going with that. <laughs> you said, yeah, you didn't really know. You didn't have any idea what was going on with the naming. You didn't have. Oh, a- there we go. There you go. So it was the naming. <laughs> um, but luckily, so my parents are both still alive. And my 
wife's mother is still with us. In fact, she's staying with us during COVID. So she's getting to experience everything with the baby. But unfortunately, my, my father-in-law passed away about five years ago to cancer. Oh, sorry. About my father-in-law and my mother-in-law, they had two daughters, right? My wife and her sister. He always, well, he didn't really have a preference, but they always planned two names, right? If it's a girl, we're going to call him this. If it's a boy, we're going to call him this. So my wife, who's the eldest, came along and it was a girl. So they didn't use the boy's name. Then okay. the next child came around. It was also a girl. So they didn't use the boy's name. Oh. That was the name Aaron. My, you know, my, my father-in-law loved the name Aaron, always wanted to have a boy who was called Aaron. <laughs> we decided when he was born, when my son was born, that that was the only grandparent he was never going to meet, right? Because he'd passed away. He's, already, he's interacting with his, his grandmother, who he calls Yaya uh, right now. So with his, you know, every day she's here. So he's like, yeah, yeah. And he's going to meet my my parents, hopefully when COVID's over, they haven't met yet, but they're luckily in perfect health. So as soon as it's over, they'll meet them, but he'll never, he'll never meet his grandfather, Raul. So that's the part of him that we wanted to give. So his name comes from his grandfather, who he's never going to meet. Oh, that's so nice and thoughtful. At least it keeps the family name going. And uh, yes, that's something, that's a legacy for him to live up to. <laughs> there was one other criteria too. It had to make sense in Spanish and English and in the Philippines. In Filipino. Oh, right. Because so, certain names you can't really pronounce in other languages. So we, we have to do them like, okay, in Filipino it can be pronounced. In the, in the US it can be pronounced. And in Spanish it can be pronounced. Okay, that works. Because, you know, certain <laughs> names... I, they were going to call me Lance when I was born. Lance? Um, that was what, Lance. But then in the Philippines, everybody pronounced it lunch, lunch, because they couldn't pronounce it. So that's why they called me Ray, <laughs> because they're like, yeah, that, would, that name's not going to work in, in Filipino. So they had to change my name. So we were very co- conscious of that. We need to make sure it's a name that in most languages they can pronounce. Oh, I like that. Yeah, like my name now, I'm sure you won't even be able to pronounce the full name. <laughs> Exactly. Well, my name is, is, a, is a name that's got like a meaning. It means God is worthy of my praise. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I like that. <laughs> There's always a story <laughs> behind every name. So It I is, love it the is, story. and that's it. So we, we, we went with that. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for your time on my podcast. It's been so, <laughs> so interesting to talk to you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Hope to come back to you at some point and talk about maybe engineering or something. Or oh, how, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, uh, uh, the journal of how the kid is going, Aaron is going, uh, <laughs> when he starts school. <laughs> you know? He's got to start work. I, I keep telling my wife, when he's two years old, he's got to start paying his rent around here. You what know? Nobody gets a free mean? pass. I'm, I'm going to start teaching him how to code computers at, at two years old. I'm a computer programmer. So I'm like, yeah, he's got to start working. Well, so, uh, enough of the two-year vacation, I think, is enough when he's born. <laughs> I think he's got to start working at about two years old. So my wife doesn't quite agree with my plan, but we'll, we'll see. <laughs> well, it might be the genius kid who, <laughs> we'll see. Mean, we'll who, see. who graduates from university at 13. I've seen that happen. So. We'll see. My, my dad went to Harvard. My, you know, my aunt and uncle went to MIT. My great-grandfather went to Harvard. So we, we, we have a lot of smart people in my family so it's in the gene <laughs> it could be it could be maybe it skipped me i'm sure and probably hopefully it'll pass on to him oh lord great thank you so much have a great afternoon <laughs> thanks Doyin. all right bye thank you for listening please download and share with your friends and family and on social media platforms we are available on apple google amazon 
Spotify, IAT Radio, Listening Notes, Podchaser, Good Pods, Radio Public, Stitcher, Deezer, Pocket Cast, Himalaya, and anywhere you listen to your podcast, please leave a review, comments, or feedback on our social media platforms on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and also on our website www.podbean forward slash midmusings.com. Thank you very much.